And that is when things started to change for my channel. And I began to take it more seriously as a potential income source and a potential possible future career. If you are into city planning, you are going to run into City Beautiful in YouTube. But how was this addictive channel started as an off-project from an academic? And how do you balance academic life with being a YouTuber? I am Alex, and this is Genesis. You're going to have interesting answers to this question. You are a person of several hats, several things that you do in your life. So when people ask what you do for a living, what's your go-to answer? Which part do you go for? Yeah, so my go-to answer is that I'm a professor in the Department of City and Original Planning uh, over at Cal Poly uh, here in California. So in which circumstances does the YouTube channel actually get mentioned? Oftentimes it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after I tell people what I do, they, they might say, oh, what's city planning? Or they might, you know, talk about city planning issues they have, like the traffic they deal with or something like that. And then from there, the conversation moves on and I don't really have to get into the YouTube stuff. Uh, it's, that moment has passed. Okay, so in which do, do you keep it a secret? Does this, this is a thing that only your close friends know you're doing? So, yeah, sort of. So the weird thing about me is that I am a city planning professor with a YouTube channel about city planning. And what's weird about that is then all of my students, generally, when they come into the program as new students, have seen my YouTube channel and YouTube videos before. So oh. I'm actually incredibly well known on campus for having a YouTube channel. But then when I'm outside of campus, actually, I'm not well known at all. I'm pretty anonymous, like most YouTubers, I think, are. But yeah, on campus, I have a certain level of notoriety, I guess, for the channel. That sounds extremely advantageous. Before heading into your story, just because I want to know, how does it feel that some of your students actually watch it? Is, is, does it actually help that they're like, oh yeah, I have watched this guy before and hype for this class or does it become a problem? It's not a problem. I'm, I'm happy that they watch the channel. I, I always encourage my students to go look for outside resources about city planning. And at least if they watch mine, I know that they're generally well-produced and well-researched. So that's a good thing. And you know, uh, when you go and actually teach, you know, as a professor, you're the center of attention anyway. So in that respect, it's not that different. Uh, what gets a little bit stranger, I guess the interactions are, you know, for instance, after my first introduction to city planning course this term, I had students come up to me and say, oh my gosh, I've watched your videos. It's so cool. Like, and they're really excited to meet me in sort of a different way than students are excited to meet their professor. So that's a little strange. Uh, again, something that really only happens on campus. Outside of campus, it's it's pretty normal. All right. So, so now we're going to start from the very beginning. And I'm curious already about how we're going to get to being a professor of city planning and actually having a YouTube channel. But where were you born? <laughs> I was born and raised in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. It's a small town on the lakeshore of Lake Michigan, about 45 minutes from Green Bay, but really about three, three and a half hours from a truly major city, I guess, if you can consider Milwaukee to be a major city. I was about you know four and a half hours from Chicago, which is truly a major city. So yeah, it's kind of strange, I guess, that Somebody who would study city planning and become a city planning professor and have a YouTube channel about cities grew up in such a small town. Fair enough. And that actually begs the question, how 
did you get into city planning? Is this like a thing that was already sort of hinted at while you were a, a child that your parents thought there was something you would be interested in? Or is this something that developed later in life? I think my parents always thought that I would be uh, like a politician or a diplomat or something like that. I really did always like government and politics and that sort of thing. But uh, you know, as a little kid, I would pore over maps. I loved maps so much. I would I'd open up the road atlas and just sit on the floor and look at page after page. I was also a big Lego kid, uh, like so many people are. Uh, I really enjoyed building things. And of course, it didn't take long for me to start building cities. So that was sort of a, an early example of my interest in city building. Where I really sort of got turned on to the field of city planning was when in high school, a teacher of mine passed me a book outside of class. He just said, you know, I think think you'd like this. It was my government teacher, because again, I was really into government. And the book was Natural Capitalism. And, you know, it's a fine enough book uh, by Paul Hawken. But uh, what was really interesting to me about it was there was a chapter on Curitiba, Brazil. And it was about how its mayor, Jamie Lerner, who's an architect, really did some innovative things around bus networks and bus transportation and finding ways in an under-resourced city to really make a positive difference in terms of parks and other community resources. And it just spoke to me. Like, uh, it was amazing that someone could have such an impact on the daily lives of people for the better through something like city planning. It just really resonated with me, and I really wanted to do that myself. So the book was perfectly timed. I, it was so great that he passed that to me then because I was in the process of considering which universities I wanted to go to. So I really just refocused my efforts to looking for universities that had uh, a city planning program. Wow, okay. It's impressive how often there's this one teacher that just like listens to you and does something as simple as suggesting a book or something that just ends up changing someone's life entirely. It's it's inspiring when it happens. I had the opportunity when I was getting my PhD and doing my dissertation to thank my teacher for giving me that book because it was truly him doing that and giving me the book changed the course of my life. Uh, in a really positive way. And it was good that I did that because a few years after he actually passed away. So I was really happy that I got to to thank him and uh, express my gratitude before he died. So, yeah. Oh, great that you had that chance. And so what, what university you went to at the end? So I ended up doing my undergraduate degree at Cornell University in upstate New York. And it was fantastic. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, it's an Ivy League school, but it doesn't have the same cachet as a Harvard or Yale or anything like that, you know, but it was it was a great place to go to school. I really, I really enjoyed it. Don't undersell your wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was great. You know, I was like a super overachiever in high school. And so a place like Cornell was perfect for me. It has a reputation for being one of the easiest IVs to get into, but one of the hardest to graduate from because they work you so hard. And I really appreciated that sort of intense learning environment. I'm obviously a huge nerd and, and I'm even still in school to this day. So obviously I just love school and Cornell was a great place. And uh, I had the opportunity to also meet so many uh, amazing friends. I met my now wife there. So it has a lot of personal value to me. And of course, it was the first place that I got to actually learn about city planning in a formal way. So so I'm, I'm curious at this point in the story, what is going to happen first, your position as a teacher or the YouTube thing? So uh, you, you mentioned you did a PhD. So I imagine that happened after 
well, like your, did you jump to that immediately after your bachelor? No, uh, I, I took a bit of a circuitous route to becoming a uh, YouTuber, a city planning YouTuber. It's a long story, so uh, I'll just go over the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> you can go into as much detail as you want. We're here to talk about you. <laughs> when I was an undergrad, I, I was getting an undergraduate degree as it turns out, in urban and regional studies, which I didn't realize at the time was different than a degree in city and regional planning. An urban and regional studies degree is more like an urban sociology. It doesn't really prepare you with all sorts of practical knowledge and skills that a city planning degree does. And I didn't do the smart thing and actually go and, you know, get internships to build up my practical knowledge of city planning. So by the time I was at graduation, I was applying for jobs in the field and quickly realizing that my skill set was not good enough to get me hired anywhere. <laughs> so I started looking more broadly and I started looking at nonprofit jobs, kind of in the nonprofit sector generally. And one of the best places to do that, at least back in the day, <laughs> way back in 05, was idealist.org. It's a nonprofit job site. And it turns out that Idealist uh, had posted a job for themselves, like a job to work at Idealist in New York City. Um, and I thought, well, I really like this website. <laughs> so I gave it a shot. And uh, it turns out I got the job. Uh, I worked there for four years in the nonprofit sector, uh, nonprofit technology sector, basically, kind of an early .org. And after four years of that, I thought, well, it's finally time to go back to school. <laughs> but I didn't go back to school for planning. I decided that I wanted to check out architecture and, and try out the design side of uh, the Bill's environment, thought myself to be a designer. So I went and I got a master's degree in architecture from the University of Oregon. And about halfway through that degree, I realized that actually while architecture is great, I love architecture, I still really do miss planning. And I think planning is my true calling. So I tacked on a second master's degree in, in city and regional planning. <laughs> Uh, at the University of Oregon. So, uh, and the funny thing is that the University of Oregon, in most places, a master's degree in architecture is three years. And then, so I added on another year. So I was in uh, graduate school for my master's for four years, which is, you know, double what most master's degrees take you. So that was a long time to be there. Uh, and afterwards, I was like, I'm done. No more school. I'm over it. Um, and I went and got my, uh, sorry, I went and got a job as a consultant land use planner. I, got, I became a city planner uh, in Sacramento, California. So I worked on long-range, comprehensive plans for communities throughout the northern half of California. It was a great experience. I think I learned as much in the professional world as I did in those four years of graduate school. But after a couple of years on, in that job, I did sort of miss the academic environment, to be honest. I really was lucky when I was in my master's programs to have some awesome opportunities to do really good research. And I was missing that in my professional world. And I also, you know, sort of was daydreaming about classes I would teach someday. And I realized, well, if you're daydreaming about classes you're teaching someday, it probably means you want to be a professor. <laughs> so I applied to the PhD program at UC Berkeley for city and regional planning, and I got in. And that's sort of how at least I got to the point where, you know, I was on track to become a professor. Wow. Okay. It's fascinating how you went from, I am overeducated and I'm done with universities <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, I'm going to teach instead and just get back into the system. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, that was even true after my undergraduate career. So when I was a senior, I did an undergraduate thesis, like a big final paper. And, you know, I hated it. It was terrible. And afterwards, I'm like, never again am I oh. ever going to write anything as long as that ever again. And of course, I go and get a master's degree. And I 
do a master's thesis. And after that, it was terrible. I'm like, oh my gosh, never again. Never again <laughs> I write something that long. And then I go and get a PhD and I write a dissertation. I finished that like just over a year ago. And I was like, nope, I'm done. Never again. And now, now I'm thinking, you know, I could write a book. <laughs> you know, so you never know how things are going to go. <laughs> oh, oh boy. All right. So, um, I'm curious about when did YouTube had anything to do with this crazy story? Were you at least consuming YouTube content at this point? Yeah. So when I was working at idealist.org, this was way back in like 05 or so. I remember when YouTube started. Wow. Um, you know, we were an internet company, they were an internet company, and, you know, part of our job was to keep track of social media. So I remember when it started, we were all like, huh, that's a good idea, a place to put video online, <laughs> you know? And obviously that proved to be a, a good idea that everybody agreed was a good idea, and it's still around to this day. But no, but more seriously, I, I sort of saw the possibility of YouTube as a vehicle for, for city planning videos back when I was a consultant land use planner in Sacramento. So this was after my master degrees, master's degrees. And, you know, I would often have the task of briefing community groups, uh, stakeholder groups, committees, city councils, planning commissions about city planning topics. And a lot of what planners do is education. And this may be as a shock to some people, but uh, the people on boards and commissions and councils and things like that, they don't have a lot of planning knowledge, at least many of them don't. So it's the job of a planner to let them know like exactly what something like a complete street looks like or what a healthy community is and what these topics are. And, you know, when I had to brief them on this, I, you know, I had to spend like half a day putting together a PowerPoint presentation. And what I really wanted to do was just link them a YouTube video and let them watch that instead. It would have been so much easier. But back in, you know, this was in, I don't know, 2013, 2014, there just weren't a lot of channels that were consistently posting high quality YouTube videos on the topic of city planning. So, you know, uh, so that's kind of stuck in the back of my head. I was like, okay, there's a gap here. And it wasn't until after I was in my doctoral research phase when I was at UC Berkeley, I taught an introduction to city planning class for undergraduates, uh, which was just a fantastic opportunity. It was so fun. And I realized that a lot of this content that I was creating, these lectures and other classroom materials, you know, they were great for, for intro students, but they were also it was also interesting information that I think I thought a lot of other people would like to know. So, and I remember back to before when I sort of noticed that gap in, in YouTube's content. So I thought, well, may as well be me. Why not, why not give it a shot? So my first video took me four months to make because I am absolutely not a video guy. I'm a, I'm a city planning person. So, uh, it took me a long time to make that first video uh, to get the skills, but I, I did it, and I uh, posted my first video right around January 1st of uh, 2017. Wow. Okay. Right. But you, you usually don't just post a video and things happen. Like, what was the reception to the original video? When did you actually start it seeing random people online watching your content? Yeah. So I posted my first video, which... You know, I'm still quite proud of, you know, it's pretty good for a first video and I don't cringe too bad looking back on it. And I released it to the sound of crickets. I mean, absolutely nobody watched that first video initially. I don't think the YouTube algorithm knew what to do with it or knew what the audience for this video was. And yeah, so it was like single digit views for a long time on that video. And, uh, but I made a promise to myself. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to do this thing right. And I knew from kind of looking at resources about how to do a YouTube channel that putting out videos was important. 
consistency was important. So I made a pledge to myself, I was gonna make one video every month. And I've held to that for the almost five years, but I started right from the get-go and I did one video a month. So I, you know, I think I did, I ended up probably doing like nine videos in the first eight months. So a little bit faster than one per month. And, uh, you know, by that point, that puts me in like what? August. <laughs> and by <laughs> August, I think I had a whole 16 subscribers. And I think half of those subscribers shared my last name. I think they were family members. <laughs> Thanks family for supporting me. So yeah, I mean, things weren't going great view and subscriber wise, but I was really into it. I really enjoyed the work and I finally decided it was time to start promoting myself a little bit. So I posted uh, one of my videos in the city planning subreddit on Reddit and uh, that got me some traction. You know, maybe after that, in a, in a, that, after that month of like say September, I think I had a couple hundred subscribers and I was feeling pretty good about myself, like 280, I think it was or something. So that was great. And then I remember this moment like very, very vividly. So I was at a city planning conference, of course, in October. And, you know, I was very focused on, you know, the conference, but like I kept having to check my statistics because one of my videos was just like getting thousands of views per day instead of the usual 10 views per day or something like that. So uh, I was blown away by the stats. Like I could not believe that thousands of people watching this video. The video was why did we build public housing projects? Like why do we build the projects to look like that? And I guess it must have you know, piqued enough people's interest that the algorithm took a took a liking to it and started showing it around. And that was amazing. So, you know, I started getting thousands of subscribers and YouTube did a great thing where it actually then started recommending my whole back catalog to that point, which were really of a pretty similar quality than, to the one that went off. And, you know, now all of those videos have, you know, hundreds of thousands of views. Thank you, YouTube algorithm for going back and doing that. And <laughs> so by the end of the first year, I had probably 20,000 subscribers which I thought was phenomenal. I mean, I truly, truly went into this thinking that I would be lucky if I got 10,000 subscribers, you know, for the channel. I mean, you know, but prior to this, like, again, there were no major YouTube channels that were focused on city planning uh, on the platform, at least that I knew of. So I just thought maybe people weren't interested, but it was nice to find out that maybe wasn't the case and I had some momentum here. Whew. At what point that both your work and sort of the, the the passion and attention the YouTube channel was getting made it a part of your life that started like reveling your actual day job. So I really think it started taking off in 2018. So that year after, I went from about 20,000 at the beginning of the year to maybe 50 or 60,000 by that summer. And that was the summer I went to VidCon. It was my first and so far only VidCon. And it was fantastic. I mean, it's always fantastic to go to a conference or convention and really meet people just like you. And uh, to meet other educational YouTubers was just fantastic. And I was lucky enough to meet some folks from Standard who were great to meet. And we seemed to hit it off. And shortly thereafter, I was invited to join on with Standard. And that is when things started to change for my channel. And I began to take it more seriously as a potential income source and a potential uh, possible future career. So yeah, so seeing those ads on the channel and sort of increasing revenue, it became clear that like, oh, you know, this is a real thing. And it was doubly great because I was, again, a PhD student at that time and my stipend was, you know, quite low. So, and and my wife worked in the nonprofit sector, which is great, but it's not a super lucrative career. And uh, a couple of years before that, we had just had our 
second kid. So, you know, having that extra money <laughs> was pretty nice. And it meant that, you know, as kind of revenues started increasing that, oh, okay, like this could uh, be at least a supplement to our income and help me sort of finish my PhD with a little bit of a nest egg instead of just totally broke. And yeah, it eventually became a situation where, you know, it could be a viable second career option. So yeah, I, I credit Standard for you know making this channel a viable, sustainable enterprise. So looking towards the future, do you see yourself using the channel to just potentiate or supplement more of your career as a professor or as a city planner? Or do you see YouTube taking control over more and more of your usual life? What's a realistic thing that could happen? And what's the more ideal thing that you actually want to happen? Yeah, that's a good question. That's actually a question I was considering a lot about a year and a half ago. So it was like January, February of 2020. And I was finishing up my dissertation and I was, you know, the channel was doing really well. And I felt like I was on a trajectory where it could become a full-time job. I could become a full-time YouTuber, you know, uh, in the near future. And that was great. But again, I was finishing my dissertation and I thought, well, I should at least try and see if I could become a professor. You know, I put in all this work. I don't know if people know this about the academic job market, but it's very cutthroat, very competitive. There aren't many positions and quite a few applicants. So it was no guarantee that I would, you know, get a job and it was I, you know, I felt confident knowing that there was a, a plan B out there, that I could be a YouTuber. So I put my applications out there. There's maybe 10 jobs in the entire United States that I felt like I was really a good fit for. I was super spectacularly lucky to get two job offers, which was just, again, it's, uh, I was so ecstatic that I had the opportunity to, to have two job offers. And one of those job offers was here at Cal Poly. And I felt like Cal Poly was just such an excellent fit for me. I felt like they really got me. They got the YouTube channel. Cal Poly is well known for being a phenomenal teaching university. So it's not an R1 research institution like many uh, big state schools or Ivy League schools or things like that where the professors really spend a ton of time doing research. Uh, it's really a lot about teaching here. And, and they understand also that there are different ways to have an impact on the profession than just publishing journal articles. And they saw and they got, again, this YouTube channel having this impact on the field. So it just felt like a really good fit, like I said. So I said yes to Cal Poly, and I'm really, really happy to be here. I really feel like that I can do both. And honestly, I, I sort of feel like, you know, a YouTuber that goes full-time, a lot of the time they are looking for ways to sort of expand their reach. Or, you know, maybe they start a second channel or start a podcast or find other avenues to express themselves or, or produce content. And for me, I sort of have that here at Cal Poly as a professor. Um, you know, instead of starting a podcast, I am, you know, delivering content to students. So I'm preparing lectures, doing research, and, and you know, presenting the information in, in a lot of the same way that, you know, a YouTuber would do just you know, to a more intimate audience here in a classroom. So I get to speak to millions or thousands, depending on how the video does, of uh, people on YouTube. Uh, and then I get to advise uh, future California planners here at Cal Poly. So I really feel like in some ways, it's actually just an extension of the same job. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay, so I have a, a specific question that I think you are very qualified and also very good to answer. <laughs> yeah. One... If there's anyone listening that happens to be into the academic world in a highly specialized field and is considering 
taking sort of replicating some of your steps and using YouTube as a way to potentiate some of the knowledge that they already have under research. What will be your advice to them? Because just to put an example out there, my significant other is an academic and I cannot tell you how many conversations we have had about like, oh, this thing in your dissertation, this could be a lot of really interesting YouTube videos. Like this is like like a daily thing in my household. So I imagined this now listening to you, I realized that this might be more common than I had previously assumed. So what knowledge will you share with people? I think that any successful YouTube channel or, or YouTuber really has two major ingredients. First of all, they have a passion for a topic, right? You know, I'm sure your significant other, of course, has a passion for their topic because they're getting a PhD in it, right? So, uh, and of course, I have a passion in city planning that I, I spend time teaching it in the day and then I go and make videos in, at night. Like, I just have such a passion, I can't stop. But you also then need to have a passion for actually making the videos, like the video making process. And, you know, as you, I'm sure you know, uh, making YouTube videos can sometimes feel like a bit of a grind, <laughs> You know, uh, but, you know, but there, you still find joy in it. Like it's still enjoyable to do. And, you know, so having those two ingredients is really important. And again, I think that anybody who, you know, is in the academic world probably has at least the passion and it's worth trying to see if they also enjoy making the videos too. So when I started making YouTube videos, I wasn't sure if I was going to show my face on camera. In fact, my first video, I'm not on camera at all, but I thought to myself, well, you know, Again, I don't know if this YouTube channel is really going to get big or anything. <laughs> you know, I'd be lucky to get 10,000 subscribers. But at the very least, you know, on the academic job market, it would be nice to be able to, to show these videos or put it in my CV to show that I'm passionate about this topic. Uh, and I really like it so much that I'm making these videos. And, you know, maybe having my face on screen would sort of help people associate my face with, again, that passion. So that's actually why I'm... Uh, an on-camera YouTuber uh, because of that initial decision uh, that I really wanted to, to show my face for uh, potential employers in the academic job market. So, you know, again, at the very least, for those of you in academia, I think it's worth trying to make a video or two. Uh, again, just as a way to show your passion for teaching and the subject. And, you know, I don't think it can hurt you in the academic job market. It certainly worked out okay for me, at least. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing your very unique journey into YouTube with me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so it's my honor to be on. Thanks again. <laughs>